Warning. 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 The Freestyle Club contains adult language. It is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is Andy Panda, and I'm the newest member of the Freestyle Club. Second generation. This is the Freestyle Club with your host, Mr. Negative 100 on the Rudeness Meter, Nick Cologne, and CPR, Jose Ortiz. Hello and welcome. Welcome to this week's edition of the Freestyle Club. My name is CPR Jose Ortiz. The unknown admin, Rafael Reyes, is on assignment. But please welcome our new co-host, Mr. Nick Cologne. Hey, what's up, everybody? Nick, we have a great guest this week, and uh, I want to introduce him right now. Uh, to me, he's one of my heroes, especially in the genre of freestyle music. Uh, he introduced me to my first freestyle crush, Elizabeth Rodriguez, hashtag Amanda Panda. <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome the legendary Andy Panda to the Freestyle Club. Hey, what's going on, man? Andy, when uh, the, the unknown admin Rafael Reyes put this together and he said, we have Andy Panda for our, our show, The Freestyle Club, it was like I just snagged uh, the greatest interview of all time. You don't understand. Because, like, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like, I'm usually not a, at a loss for words, but like I was telling Nick Cologne off the air, I recorded every episode of Second Generation on VHS. Wow. And I have a big VHS box in one of these uh, record closets with all the second generation shows. Now, wow. tell the folks out there who are not educated on second generation, what is second generation? So second generation was um, a show that was produced by MTV. It was syndicated nationally. And in New York, it aired on WPIX. And we came on on Saturday mornings right before Soul Train. Basically, the show was set up to highlight predominantly freestyle artists. You know, the, the, the idea behind the title Second Generation was that it was going to target second generation Latinos. And, um, you know, I was contacted by Barbara Corcoran and Lily Newmeyer at MTV and asked to meet with them to see if I could, you know, make some suggestions to them on who might be good hosts for the show. And at the time, you know, I was a partner in Fever Records and Fever Management, and we were managing a lot of freestyle artists. And I'm like, yeah, one of my artists would be perfect for this, Tony Moran. So they're like, great, can we come, you know, can we have a meeting with you? So I went and I had a meeting with them. And there, and when I walked in, you know, they didn't know who freestyle artists were. They thought I was Tony Moran. I'm like, no, 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 I I'm Andy Panda. And they're like, you're Andy Panda? Oh, we, we thought you were like an old guy. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, and at the time I was probably in my late 20s. They're like, for some reason, we just thought that because you were like uh, an executive at Fever Records that you were older. So anyway, we got to talking and I told them that I thought Tony Moran would be a great you know, host for the show. And they're like, well, we want two hosts. Is there anybody else you could think of? And I mentioned to them some of the other artists. And by the end of the meeting, they said, well, what about you? Would you be interested in doing something like that? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? So we came back. And we did a screen test and it, they had us do the screen test with Daisy Fuentes, who Tony and I both knew, by the way. And so the screen test was a piece of cake for us because Daisy was like a buddy of ours. And we just killed the screen test. And they're like, all right, you guys are going to be the hosts of this show. So then we started having 
just kind of like, you know, creative meetings about, well, all right, well, what do you want this show to be about? Obviously, you want to show videos, but what do you want us to do? What's the setting? And after a lot of brainstorming, we decided that, you know, we wanted to do kind of like more skits as opposed to be like, you know, two guys sitting in chairs, you know, announcing videos. And they fell in love with the idea. And then that was, you know, the, the, the rest just happened on its own. And interestingly enough, Lily Newmeyer, who was the producer of Second Generation, she went on to, you know, she, she stayed in, in the television industry. And she wound up to become the executive producer for Duck Dynasty. And now she's head of development at MTV and VH1. She's had a, a really good career that included uh, a stint at HBO as well. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting arc from second generation to now. How many episodes did the show go for? We ran for two seasons. We actually uh, were nominated for a New York Emmy. And we got beat, we got beat by Saved by the Bell. Damn you, Screech. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but we ran for two. We ran for two consecutive seasons, which was a total of, uh, gosh, I want to say almost a year. Like you know, you know, you know, with with repeats, right? We ran for about a year, and uh, syndicated nationally, and you know, did a lot of great episodes with some some great people. We did an episode that featured uh, Rosie Perez and a very young Jennifer Lopez. We did an episode that had Daisy Fuentes and Geraldo Rivera. Uh, we did an episode that, that had, I mean, obviously every freestyle artist, you know, one, at, one, at one time or another made their way onto second generation. Plus, you know, some other non-freestyle artists. So Another Bad Creation was on our show. Heavy D was on our show. When we went out to LA, we had Mellow Man Ace and Kid Frost. So it was just a lot of fun, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. And we got to, you know, we got to promote our music which, you know, that meant everything to me. That was the world to me, being able to promote our, our genre and our artists uh, and just, you know, just have fun, you know? I have to say that um, it was a big inspiration to me to see someone like you, Tony Moran, on TV on Saturday mornings, you know, before, um, you know, Soul Train. It was part of my weekend and it was heartbreak for me when they canceled it and it was no more. Yeah, yeah. That was heartbreak to me. Niccolo, now, did you have any experiences watching Second Generation? Well, yeah, it's funny. When you was talking about it before we started the uh, recording, he reminded me, I did the same thing back then. I used to record the episodes on VHS. I mean, I don't have them anymore, but I remember I used to record them. I'm like, wow, I totally forgot that I used to record the show. So, yeah, that's pretty cool thinking back on that. I actually have a question here, and this comes from Ralphie. So the question is, why did Second Generation end? Honestly, you know, I can't tell you the specifics of it. But like anything, I guess uh, at the end of the day, it, you know, it always has to do with business. I guess that they weren't generating the ad revenue at the time. And, you know, we, we, we were able to do it for, you know, for two consecutive seasons. You know, we, we did one season, got picked up for another. So that in and of itself was an accomplishment. And I think at that point, you know, uh, they just decided that the revenue, the ad revenue wasn't there. But, you know, hey, look, just to be able to get picked up for a second season, that in and of itself is an accomplishment because how many shows, you know, don't get picked up? They get canceled after one season. So we're proud of that. You know, we're proud of that show. Um, I know Tony Moran and I are proud of it. I think having having that show to be representative of, you know, not only the Latino American experience, of course, but also 
the the genre of freestyle. I think that that's something that's important. And and, and I think that might have also had something to do with it. When the show first started, freestyle was kind of at its peak. And then by the time, you know, we got to the the second season having ended, I think at that point, freestyle was starting to fade and there might have been less of an allure for it. But I mean, look, I've got no regrets. I don't have any hard feelings at all towards towards MTV because they gave us a great opportunity. And and at the end of the day, we're really proud of the work that we did. Right. We I, I personally can look back and I know Tony can at those episodes um and you know neither one of us had ever done anything in front of a television camera before and i'm proud of our work you know we did we didn't take ourselves too seriously uh but i thought that we provided a product that not only showcased the music and showcased the artist but i i like to believe that the show entertains people and that was the goal well for me it was new york undercover and second generation those two (laughs) and and i'm still upset that neither are available on blu-ray shoot Neither uh, of them are available on DVD. Yeah, that's something I'm, I might have to talk to Lily over at MTV about. Now that she's back at MTV, maybe we, uh, maybe we can maybe we can find a way to make that happen. That'll be awesome. This is the Freestyle Club. Topic of the week. Let's talk freestyle. Freestyle. You are more though than just a second generation. You mean a lot to our music freestyle. You mean a lot to a lot of genres of music, but freestyle, um, you know, you are one of the pioneers. Uh, you are credited for putting together the cover girls. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about, that concept of the cover girls? Great question. When I decided that I wanted to put a girl group together, I had already written and produced um, Naobi's album. I had already done Please Don't Go and, and Good Things Come to Those Who Wait and Second Chance for Love. and you know, it was obvious at that point that there were a lot of other artists that were, you know, bursting onto the scene. And we'll talk more about, you know, the genesis of freestyle, because I think that that's, that's an interesting discussion. But m- when it came to the cover girls, I had always been inspired by Motown. As a matter of fact, when I wrote Please Don't Go, I was inspired by the, the chord progression and the melodies from Motown, specifically, um, uh, the song "Love Child" by Diana Ross, which Sweet Sense uh, by Diana Ross and the Supremes, um, which coincidentally Sweet Sensation, of course, then covered, you know, in their career. But I was inspired by by that song and by that chord progression, and that that song kind of inspired me to write "Please Don't Go." So there's a real similar chord progression to "Please Don't Go" as there is to the Supremes' "Love Child." So Motown was always. Uh, fascinating to me you know it was the it was the music that my mother grew up on so of course as a little kid i mean like as a four five six year old you know i remember listening to you know motown music and i loved the girl groups i loved the supremes i loved the the ronettes i loved the shirelles and i i just had this thing that i wanted to put a girl group together because i just thought that there was something cool and glamorous about what those girl groups from the 50s and 60s had done and it was a concept and i remember sharing that concept with with a girl that i the girl happened to be the cousin of a girl that i was dating and you know we would we would talk on the train because we both lived in the same area of queens at the time and that girl's name was caroline jackson and i said hey i'm putting together this girl group i want to put together a girl group would you be interested in, in in being involved in it she goes yeah sure why not I was like, well, can you help me find some other girls that, you know, 
have the right look and have the right talent? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. So she actually uh, recommended another girl to me that she knew, um, this girl named Lisa Martinelli from Long Island. And so I, I met Lisa. I heard Lisa sing. She was, she was a good singer, pretty girl. She was like the same height as Caroline. I was like, oh, you guys look great together. Um, now, at the time, I had already met and was working with Sal Abatello because Sal you know, was the manager of, of, uh, of Naomi. And Sal was also the owner of Fever Records, of course. And Sal and his father uh, had opened up a club in the Bronx that I was managing called The Devil's Nest. So I went to Sal and I said, Sal, I have an idea. I want to put a girl group together. I've got two girls. I need one more. He goes, oh, I know someone. He goes, I, he goes, I, I know this girl named Sunshine. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be great. I've got a Puerto Rican girl. I've got a white girl from Long Island. And then I've got an African-American girl. So, you know, we can really cater towards, you know, three different demographics here. So that was the original cover girls. That was the first group of cover girls that, uh, that we put together. And um, I started working on a song for them. And that song was Show Me. But it didn't work out with Lisa Martinelli. There were some issues with Lisa. And, okay, we, we knew that she was not going to be able to stay in the group. So Sal was like, well, I know this other girl that you should definitely listen to. I know this girl named Angel. She's from the Bronx. She's got a really nice voice. So Sal had her audition for me at the Devil's Nest. You know, one day the club was closed. She came in and she sang. I listened to her sing. And initially... I had concerns and my concerns had nothing to do with her vocals. My concerns had to do with the image, right? Because Caroline and Sunshine were so much taller than her. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but it'll be fine because she's going to be in the middle and she's a really pretty girl. She had these beautiful green eyes and she was spunky. I was like, so even though she's not the same height, it'll be fine. She's got a great voice. So that's how Angel became, you know, the, the lead singer of the cover girls. And then the rest is kind of history. You know, what a lot of people, uh, don't know is that show me had been a hit in the devil's nest before we even put it out tony moran and i had done the demo and we had another girl that was singing on it and we hadn't really done the the full vocals on it yet just the chorus and it was a uh, a girl named pam russo and she had sung on the demo and little louie was playing the demo on a reel to reel in the devil's nest and people were going nuts for it. Everybody wanted to know, what's that record? Where can I buy it? And I'm like, don't worry, it's coming soon. So by the time we recorded the song, which, if I'm not mistaken, we were in the studio. Oh, now this is going to be tough. Now, I don't remember if it was if it, it was either the very end of 85 or the very end of 86 that we finished it. Because I remember that. And I was just talking to Tony Moran about this a couple of days ago. We were reminiscing. And... When we finished that mix, we, we, we mixed that song. It took us 24 hours to mix it. We mixed it in Shakedown Studio, uh, which was Arthur Baker's studio. And, Arthur uh, Baker, man. Yeah, legend. the legend. I, I, just spoke to, I just spoke to Arthur last week, too. We stay in touch. But we had just finished the mix, and it was snowing that morning. And I remember going home, like, stressed out. I was so anxious, like, is this mix good? I don't know. There's so much pressure on this. Everybody's waiting for this song. So it was either late 85 that we finished the mix or late 86. I don't recall exactly. I want to say it was late 85 because I think, I think it got released in 86, but, but you know, that doesn't really matter. So that was it. Once show me came out, it was just like, it just took off from there. 
and the rest is history. Let me tell you that they became the the group to follow. So many different groups were formed. Female groups were formed in in the genre of freestyle and in dance music. Once the cover girls came on the scene, it was amazing. It was always like, uh, who's better, expose or the cover girls? You know. Well, or, let me be or, fair. Let me let let's be fair about it because the cover girls and expose probably came out at around the same time. It's even possible. Don't don't quote me on this. I don't want to. I don't want to go with exact dates, but it's possible that expose may have even come out with point of no return. Now, point of no return on Pantera records, not point of no return on Arista records. Point of no return with the original singer Ali, not point of no return with Jeanette Girado. So, it, it's very possible that expose came out first, and the two scenes the new york freestyle scene which as you all know was not called freestyle at that time it was called latin hip-hop the the term freestyle really didn't start getting used until 86 but expose and what was going on in miami and and cover girls and what were going was going on in new york they were happening simultaneously which to me is pretty incredible you know that you had these two genres of music that weren't really connected that were happening almost the exact same time now, back then, any DJ would be able to listen to a Latin hip hop song or a freestyle song and tell you if it came out of Miami or New York. There was, you know, the trained ear, right? For the connoisseur, if you will. You knew back then what was a Miami freestyle song and what was a New York freestyle song. There were, there were some pretty clear differences. Nowadays, not so much. People just kind of, you know, mix them all together. But it was a fascinating time, man, because you had this community of, of artists, songwriters, record producers, you know, that were that were making this music and they were predominantly Latino. And they were they were just making this music in New York and at the same time you had a similar scene going on in Miami with, you know, predominantly, you know, Cuban Americans. And and it was beautiful, man. There was no there was no animosity, there was no beefs. There was just this sense of excitement and joy and camaraderie, and everybody wanted to work on everybody's record. And there was no drama, not in the beginning. In the beginning, it was really all just this exciting, um, there was this exciting <laughs> brotherhood and sisterhood that, was, that really just stemmed from this new genre of music that we all knew we had created, you know? We knew we were doing something that we could that was new, and it was something that we were all really proud of. And I, I miss that. I really do. Well, I miss that as well, especially the camaraderie part, uh, where everyone can't wait to work on each other's records. You know, I'm fortunate enough to play freestyle on a weekly basis on an FM radio, four thousand watt station. You know, I seen the different the difference now from back in the day where everyone celebrated their accomplishments, and there have been guests here on the show. They have stated that everyone will have dinner at the end of the night and they would pull for each other and they would celebrate each other's accomplishment where a little bit after it just became something totally different, which it was just pretty sad because if that unity would have kept going, hopefully uh, the music could have flourished better. And I think that it would have continued in a better path. Yeah, I, look, people people ask me this all the time, especially, you know, in interviews and stuff to like, well, what happened? You know, and th there's a lot of factors that, that went into it. I don't think that there was any one factor that, 
you know, made freestyle quote unquote end. However, I think more important than how or why it ended is the fact that 33 years later, the music is still thriving. And, and, and you could even make the case that it, at, at this point in time, at this point in history, it's actually kind of having a bit of a revival. Absolutely. So, so when you can, you know, when you can look at this music, it, it certainly was not a fad because fads come and go. Fads don't survive for 30 something years. You know, when you can have concerts, you know, selling out 9,000 seat arenas and you can have artists like George and TKA and Cynthia and Lizette, who I was literally just on the phone with before, um, you know, before I got on the phone with you guys who are still performing 30s. And I'm not talking about performing once a year. Talking about performing like every week. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes three times a week. What you have to recognize is that this is a legitimate genre of music that has withstood the test of time. And you can make the argument, the fact that there haven't been any new freestyle quote-unquote hits is even a larger testament to the success of the music. That 30-some years later would arguably not a hit record since the early 90s and people are still supporting the music. So I'll, I'll share a little story with you, a little anecdote. So George Lamont was performing at a club called Haven in Orlando. And, you know, I live in Orlando and, and I'm actually doing some work with the owner of the club, who's a friend of mine, and, you know, helping him bring some acts in and, you know, helping to promote and market the club. And um, George came and performed. And, you know, the, 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 the place was packed, right? And everyone's having a good time. And before George performed, the DJ, DJ Infinite, was killing it, by the way. He was playing mostly freestyle because, you know, of the crowd that was there. And it was a pretty mixed crowd. You know, it was probably, I would say, any, everywhere from 21 to like, you know, 51, right? And I noticed this group of girls on the dance floor who couldn't have been older than, you know, 24, 25 years old. And there was maybe about a dozen of them. And they sang every lyric to every freestyle record that that DJ played. Yes. And I walked over to them and I was like, ladies, excuse me, but I just have to ask you a question. How do you know all the words to all of these songs? Because obviously this music isn't from your generation or your era. And in their own way, they all pretty much said to me, this is our culture. This is our music. This is, this is our people's music. We grew up listening to this. So yeah, we're in our twenties and we have our music that, you know, we listen to, but this is, this is a part of, of not, this is a part of our upbringing. This is a part of our culture and we, we identify with it. And I was, you know, I was blown away by that. And, you know, Sal, you know, Sal and I, you know, we talk all the time and we've, you know, remained in contact over the years, of course. And, and he would tell me these stories that he's seen. He goes, Andy, you're not going to believe it. There's young kids who know this music. But to hear from those young girls that they identified with this music as part of their culture, that really blew me away. And it gave me a different perspective. It's not just a genre of music. It's a cultural, it's a part, it's a part of our Latino culture. And, and for that, I, I'm so proud for that. And you should, because you're one of the pioneers of this music. And I, I can attest to that, you know, doing freestyle in New England all these years, we have three generations, not a second generation, but a third <laughs> generation 
where I've put family gatherings together. Um, we have a freestyle night for the family, and mm -hmm. it will be the grandmother bringing her daughter who brings their daughter, and it's three generations enjoying freestyle, and all three generations are singing it because they're still playing this type of music in their home. Uh, Absolutely. It's their salsa. The, the older it gets, the better it is. You know what I mean? Precisely. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I just met... Stevie B and I were talking earlier this week and I made that same analogy up to Sasa. I was like, you know, Stevie, what you need to understand is in many ways, freestyle has a place within a very, very culturally rich, rich musical background for Latinos. I mean, when you look at Latino music, it spans everything from salsa, bachata, merengue, mambo, rumba, tejano, you know, the list goes on, right? And Freestyle has its place in that. You could even make the case freestyle is the first, the first Latin genre of music that was born on the mainland. Yes. It didn't come from Cuba. It didn't come from Puerto Rico. It didn't come from DR. It didn't come from Mexico. It didn't come from, from Spain. It was born here. And, and on, on, in a lot of ways, that's what makes it really unique. And I made that comparison to salsa. You know, there's this rich fabric of latino music that spans many different genres and freestyle has earned its legitimate place among those other genres of latino music and the, the funny and ironic part about that is it is the, the our version of salsa but just like old school salseros they don't accept anything new you know so at my radio show you know i have to play the classics right and then when i feature new right. artists people get upset and they're like why are you playing that you know and it's like well you know, I love the classics, but I like to feature the new music that's coming out. As a matter of fact, there's a producing team, the Santana Twins, which uh, Nick Cologne works with. And on their releases, they have the Devil's Nest uh, remixes on them. So they, ah. they actually dedicate the Devil's Nest on their, on their extended mixes. They're actually part of Cutting Records as well. So No, no, I know them. Lu Luis and I were on the phone yesterday. Right, Matter so, of fact. But for the people that may not be aware, but I just think it's right. really nice that he pays homage to the place, yeah. the place that you used to manage. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we actually spoke. We were on the phone uh, just yesterday and we're trying to make plans for me to go up there and get in the studio with them and, and, and do some collaboration. You know, it's funny because you talked about new music and, you know, I've always been a big, you know, lover of salsa. And it saddens me since maybe, you know, what well, Mark, of course, but, you know, even salsa artists that came after Mark, like, you know, Los, Ado Los Adolescentes, you know, there hasn't been a new salsa act to keep the genre alive, you know, to keep it going. It's been a minute, I feel, since there's been like a really new, fresh, you know, uh, salsa artist. And that's kind of where we are with freestyle. I really feel that the genre needs a new artist it needs someone to to come up and say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna experiment and i'm gonna i'm gonna commit myself to this genre of music and you know and maybe coming up with a new fresh sound you know to to kind of keep it going to pass the torch because and look that's not look i, I love i love all the original freestyle artists you know i love them i i cherish their music you know, I support it. So, you know, whether we're talking about Sweet Sensation or the Cover Girls or George or TKA or Stevie B or Brenda or Judy and, you know, Noel, I mean, the list could go on, right? Cynthia, of course, 
and I'm and lots more. I think now more than ever, there's a need for a, a young person to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick up the mantle. I'm, I'm gonna carry this torch, and I'm gonna bring freestyle, you know, to the present." And it's, it can't sound like the same stuff that was done in, you know, in the eighties and nineties. It, it's, and, and it's funny because. Stevie said to me the other day, you know, we were talking about his, his now infamous rant. And he goes, well, Andy, where do you see freestyle music going? And I was like, okay, here's my take on it. For there to be a new, something new, something exciting. For me, I'm speaking for me personally. I'm not speaking for anyone else. I was like, for starters, I would like to hear a new artist. And that's not taking anything away from, you know, the pioneers. But just to see someone young that's getting up there and embracing the genre, that's number one. Number two, for me, as a, as a songwriter and as a producer, as someone who helped create the genre, of course, I want something that's going to have a traditional freestyle sound where anyone who knows freestyle is going to hear it and go, oh, that's a freestyle song. But next thing they're going to say is but i've never heard a freestyle song like that and the best comparison i can make and lizette and i i literally just said this to lizette a little while ago i signed lizette to fever records i was the a you know i was the executive producer and you know the a and r person for you know together forever and, and that whole album and the minute i heard together forever when frankie and carlos brought that to me i was like oh wait can i curse on here Absolutely. <laughs> I said, holy shit. What is this? I was, and I said, this is new. As a matter of fact, Carlos Berrios reminded me. He said to me, Andy, you were the one who came up with the term new school freestyle. You're the one who wanted to make sure that we called it that when we released the, when we released the single. I was like, damn, Carlos, I don't even remember that. He goes, yeah, you said this has to be called new school freestyle. And then we started calling Lizette the mother of new school freestyle. But my point is, when Together Forever was released, it had everybody going, that's freestyle, but we've never heard freestyle done like that before. Absolutely. We, we had a guest previously who discussed the same record, Together Forever, mm -hmm. Gino Caporelli, and we remember the exact day where we were when we first heard it and when we first saw the 12-inch vinyl. Nick Cologne, do you remember the first time you ever heard Together Forever? Absolutely. It, you know, that's what I always credit Carlos Barrios and that sound and Lisette Melendez to what inspired me and brought me to want to uh, sing and write and produce and just be involved in freestyle music. That changed it. Subscribe to the Freestyle Club. On Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Visit thefreestyleclub.com. The Freestyle Club. The Freestyle Club. Let's talk freestyle. I have to share something with you, all right? And don't get mad, all right? No, I won't. Because <laughs> I, I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts. And I'm not trying to be controversial, but I want to be historically correct. And I want to give my opinion on this situation. And this isn't about taking sides. This is just about talking about music. So let's be clear. When I heard, first of all, the people who walked into my office with that cassette was Frankie Cutlass and Carlos Berrios. And it was Frankie who came up with the idea for that loop. 
And that loop on that record was one of the driving forces in setting that sound apart. Now, Carlos had the vision and the foresight to say, okay, I know how to make this work. Because obviously, the loop by itself was not going to work. But it was that type of collaboration, that type of unselfishness, that was what made the genre successful in the early days. When, when Tony Moran, the first time I met Tony Moran, he was editing. And he was, he was doing all types of edit work. He was doing edit work, obviously, for, Kate, uh, for, for Kiss. But he was doing a lot of edit work for Arthur Baker. And Arthur Baker was remixing big records at the time. And, and Tony and Albert were getting the, 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 the edit work. And when I met Tony, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, you're I was like, I was like bowing down to Tony. And he's like, oh, my gosh, no, I'm bowing down to you because you're writing and producing. And, and so we were just like bowing down to each other. <laughs> and we were like, we have to work together. And there was so much excitement and, and energy about working with other people because you were literally huge fans of these other people and what they were doing. And so we, we couldn't wait to get into the studio and collaborate. And Frankie and Carlos Berrios and Frank Reyes, okay, another guy who was part of that songwriting and production team, it was the collaboration and everybody recognizing and respecting one another's talent and skill and saying, let's bring it to the table, you know? And I, re I remember when Joey Gardner came to me and says, oh, would you want to work with TKA? And I was like, oh my God, of course I would. And you know, and I, and I wrote Tears May Fall and Tony and I produced it. And I remember doing the vocals for Tears May Fall with KL. And I was like melting as we were recording the vocals with KL because I just loved the way the record was sounding. Those types of collaborations and those types of mutual respect was what drove the success of the genre and launched careers. Look, Little Louis Vega was the DJ at the Devil's Nest. Okay. I brought little louis to sal and i was like hey look we've got to get this kid in the club this kid is like a super hot dj i had already met louis and i took sal to go hear louis play in the bronx at a at a, a party that D, that louis was djing at at this spot called chez sensual and um i was like this kid is hot we have to get him and you know louis came and we hired him and we, you know, he was exactly what we thought he was going to be like a sensation. And when it was time for us to make the cover girls album, I said to Louie, Louie, you got to get down. You got to get in the studio. You got to get down. So I want you to work with, um, you know, Robert Clavillis and David Cole. They did a song. Uh, you know, and again, Robert Clavillis was someone that I knew and I had reached out to Robert and saying, and, and said, Hey, you know, I want you to work on the cover girls. I want you and David to, to do a song and produce it. So it wasn't where we were all being selfish and trying to keep everything to ourselves. Like when the opportunity came to do a cover girls album, I, I wanted all my friends to work on it because I was genuinely excited about having their talent be shared with this project. And I think that to a certain extent, we kind of lost that at one point and I'm happy to see it coming back. So, you know, when I hear about all these different collaborations and everybody getting into the studio together and sharing ideas, it makes me happy. You know, you're going to have, you know, you're always going to have a little bit of the, you know, well, who did what and who's getting credit for what. And those things are always unfortunate. But 
it should never get in the way of the spirit of people wanting to collaborate with one another. You lose that, you lose everything. You know, the minute somebody thinks that they could do it all by themselves and they don't need anybody else's talent or they don't need anybody else's input, that's really when the music is going to start to suck. Bottom line. I completely agree with your with your synopsis, with, with what you're saying to us. But I think social media is really what is uh, driving the, the backwards uh, uh, wheel turning of, of our music. Because Stevie B, you know, did this did this quote unquote rant. Which I, com- mm-hmm. which I completely agree with. I mean, a lot of the things that he said were, were quotes from, from what I've said in, in the last 22 weeks and in the last 10 years. You know, it's, it's people sampling African Bombada's plan of rugby and putting bad <laughs> vocals over it to people, you know, having others produce the songs on their behalf and then taking credit for them. Getting anyone in the studio to record any song with bad vocals and a person that can't sing and just putting them out there as a freestyle artist and all these are black eyes, but now that social media is, is in the, in the forefront of that, it just makes everything come forward. So little, little tidbits of music that are really good and that we can actually push are, are kind of stifled by all the negative press. It's funny because look, so, so as far as Stevie B goes and, and his rant or whatever you want to call it, you know, Anyone who knows Stevie B from back in the day and understands where he's gotten to knows that Stevie B is a businessman. Mm-hmm. So a lot, you know, as I was watching those rants, you know, I'm laughing because I know that, you know, maybe about maybe about 85 percent of what Stevie was saying, he genuinely believed and the other 15 percent was just publicity. It was just. And then at the <laughs> end, it was a nice sales pitch. And right. then and then and then. But. But he accomplished two things with his rants. And whether you, whether you, and look, and I understand the criticism. Oh, you're causing beef. Oh, you're, you're cursing. All that. Okay, I get all that. But what he did was he got everybody talking about freestyle. Right. And he got everybody talking about Stevie B. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, so, and then at the end of every, every, um, every Facebook live video, for only 1995, yeah. you too can invest in Stevie B, the yeah. product, you know? So, we, you know, when you think about it, people have been, People have been talking more about freestyle since Stevie B did his rant than, than in quite some while. So I think he kind of, I think there was some, some positive to, to what he was doing, right? As far as his criticisms go, and when he and I spoke earlier this week, we both acknowledged this. And this is to your point about social media. Back in the day, if you made a demo, right? Let's say you went in the lab, you had a little home studio, whatever, like, you know. You couldn't just start playing it. You had to take it to someone. And then they would get they would give you their two cents about it. And then maybe you take it to Louie or maybe you take it to Robert or maybe you take it to Roman or maybe you take it to Baby J or whomever. And then they'd be like, nah, I ain't playing this. This shit is whack. Right? And then you had to put your tail between your legs and go back into the lab. And then there was a community that would tell you if if it was good or not. You could pop that cassette in the car. You know, when you were out with your boys and they'd be like, yo, that's dope. Or they'd be like, this shit is trash, right? Nowadays, you don't have that. There's no, there's no way of kind of testing and, and honing it. So you can make, anybody now can make a record, or can, can make a demo in their home studio, right? Anybody with a dog can just start making stuff and then just slap it up on the internet without any without without it ever being put to the test now 
you could make the case that the internet is the test. So if if so, so that I guess now you don't need a little Louis Vega. You don't need to take it to the club. You don't need to play it in your car. You don't need to play it in the park and see what kind of response you get. So that's a good thing. But I understand Stevie's point. You can't just slap a demo together and then just throw it up on the internet and say, hey, here you go, new freestyle. You know, and I tried to explain to him, you're not going to stop that. You can't stop it anymore. So it's just going to, at the end of the day, the one thing that hasn't changed is the people are going to decide. The people are going to decide whether the new freestyle stuff that comes out is worthy. Now, how are they going to decide? Well, there's really no radio stations anymore, right? So it's it's going to all be about internet buzz. So if Lizette puts out a new song, which of course she did, and she obviously has the name recognition, right? And she's out there performing. So she's got a platform to determine if it's a hit or not. The people at the end of the day are going to decide if it's a hit. So while you may, while Stevie may complain and say, hey, this song's trash, you know, the proof is going to be, is anybody going out to see that artist or hear that artist sing that song? I would argue, again, I could be wrong. I'm no expert, right? At least in, in what's going on nowadays, I'm no expert. It hasn't reached my ears that there's a new freestyle artist or a new freestyle song that's a hit. That doesn't mean that there isn't good stuff out there, right? That doesn't mean that there haven't been some quality produced records. Remember, there's a real big difference between a quality produced record and a hit record. And also, let's keep in mind, a hit record doesn't necessarily have to be a quality produced record. So you can have a quality produced record that's not a hit, and you can have a hit that's not a quality produced record. And I think that that's something Stevie B, he should understand that. He knows that, right? So, you know, to me, you know, there hasn't been either a new freestyle song, a new freestyle record, whatever you want to call it. There hasn't been a new freestyle track, new freestyle song, or a new freestyle artist that I think people would say, oh, yeah, this song is just as big as any of the original hits. If there is, Please enlighten me and please educate me and tell me what that song is or who that artist is. I'm just going to forward you a copy of CPR's Top 10 Countdown, which we do on a weekly basis. And uh, hopefully you'll find something on there that is to your liking. No, 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 no. But see, (laughs) no, don't get it twisted. There's plenty of stuff that I like. Uh, This isn't about what Andy Panda likes. What I'm talking about is a hit. Can you name me a song that's been released in the last 10 years? that you would say is a freestyle hit equivalent to all of the legendary freestyle hits. I uh, know I can't say that. That's my point. That's my point. And I think that that's what I'd like to see change. I would love for someone to put out a song that is just as much of a hit as Show Me or Silent Morning or Dream Boy, Dream Girl, or No Reason to Cry, or Without You by George Lamont, or Maria by TK, or Together Forever by Lizette Melendez, or Never Let You Go by Sweet Station, and I can go on and on and on. (laughs) 
I would love, I would love that. I would, and, and, and whether it was a song by one of those original artists, preferable by a new artist, even better. Right. But, you know, I don't think we've heard that. And, and wow, I wish we would. I really wish, I, oh, it would bring me so much joy to hear someone say, yo, there's a song out now and it's a hit and it's freestyle. And it would make me even lose my mind if someone said, and it's some 20 year old kid who did a new spin on it and it sounds fresh as hell. That would be amazing. Because then you could say freestyle's been reborn. Well, he did say 10 years, right? I'm, I'm, I'm looking down my list here. I can't find Bruh, that. If you, have to, if you have to look and think about it, it hasn't happened. <laughs> if, the, if the song didn't immediately come to your mind, then that means it ain't there. I wish you would have said 15 or 20. Maybe I would have got one or two. All right, but... so let me ask you this. Yes. What would you consider to be the last freestyle hit? Nicolone, do you have a thought on that one? It's not out yet. You know, to me, I think, and I really have a lot of faith that I've been saying this to the guys, Sean Davis's new single that's going to come out, I think that has the potential to be a really big song. Yeah, I would love for you to, if, if you're okay with it, I would love for you to send it to me. I'd love to hear it. Uh, I can work on that. Okay. I, I would say Collage, I'll Be Loving You. I would say yeah. Raquel in a Dream. But yeah. those songs were hits. Those songs were, were That's my point. Those, Do, were those unmistakable, undeniable, bonafide hits. There was there was this progressive freestyle song back in two thousand, uh, Paradigm featuring um, Oh, that's yeah, that's D Robert, one. Back for My Love. It was an amazing track. One of my favorites of all time. Uh Caprice, There Goes Your Heart. I mean, but again, these are songs that um maybe you've never heard or maybe you have heard a tidbit here or there. But you know, I understand where you're coming from. I just, I've been in it so long that I, I could pick out songs from a certain year that were really great, but not to hit that level where it's commercialized. Um, and, and, and look, well, all I'm saying is you can have a good record, right? But that doesn't mean it's a hit record. Right. You know, so I'm sure that there's lots of good records that have been made, but there hasn't been a hit since, since the two you mentioned, Collage and Raquel, those are probably like two of the most, the last ones. That were like the last gas, right? The last breath of, you know, freestyle where you could say that was a bonafide freestyle hit record. I'm sure since then there have been good ones, but I don't know that you, that you would be able to qualify any of them as hit records. So because, let me ask you a question. Yeah. I actually wrote this down as what would you say is the difference between writing songs and writing a hit song? What are the important factors or the formula? Writers need to achieve that hit song recipe. There is no formula. If there was, everybody would use it, and then everybody would have hit records. <laughs> here's a here's a follow up question for you. Um, K seven TKA just uh, text me this one for you. He asked me to ask you, uh, why did you start writing songs? Because you're great at it. Wait, so who who said that? Uh, K seven TKA. KL. Yes. He just asked you that question just now. Yes. Um. He's he's um I'm. I'm texting with him right now oh okay and Tell uh, him how come how come every other freestyle artist has called me in the last three months looking for songs and he has it i'm still I'm, waiting for my phone to ring i'm gonna test it right now hold on <laughs> <laughs> how come every other freestyle artist what, what was the rest of it how come every other freestyle artist has called me in the last two months looking for a song except you <laughs> so andy are you still writing songs Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. And I got, I, I, and I'm going to be really honest, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to be really, really honest. 
Okay. So, you know, I always, I, I, I did not continue writing freestyle songs once I left. I think the last, I'll be honest with you, the last two freestyle songs that I remember writing was Tears for Raquel. Love that song. And when I wrote it, I didn't write it for Raquel. That was a song that I wrote with Tony, and then it wound up getting used for Raquel. And then the other one was If I Had the Chance. Now, Cynthia. If I Had the Chance, I wrote that for, uh, what was the name of that girl group on Metropolitan Records? Three girls, Laissez-Faire. Yes. So I, Tony Moran and I, we co-wrote If I Had the Chance for Laissez-Faire. I don't think it ever got put out. And then uh, Cynthia wound up recording it. So those are the last two freestyle songs that I wrote. When Stevie B went on that rant, that's when I'm like, did Stevie B just throw a challenge out there? Uh -oh. did, Stevie, <laughs> did Stevie B just did Stevie B just say that all you pioneers need to need to get out there and show what you could do? And and I'm not gonna lie, he kind of inspired me to be like, oh, you just you just you just you just woke a sleeping giant, my man. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad that he did because uh, right, you know, I would love to. I, I immediately I would love I to hear a new song from you. I immediately got to work on it and, and I've been writing my ass off for the last, you know, it's been a few weeks now. And um, there's a bunch of artists that you all know that I'm really excited to uh, to work with. Um, you know, now it's just a matter of going into the lab and I'm going to be working with a bunch of different producers, some young, some, some young. I I'm working with a couple of cats who don't even know what freestyle is. Good. But. But and and I, I'm really excited about that. Collaborating with them and say, "Look, I'm going to bring you a song that I wrote, but I want you to interpret it however you think is going to make it sound hot." And then I'm going to work with some people that you know, Tony and I are going to get back into the studio and do something together. I spoke to the Santana twins. We're, we're going to uh, make some time uh, to get into the studio together. Angel LeBron, uh, aka Mambo LeBron, uh, who I've known for over 30 years. He lives in Tampa. He and I are going to get in the studio together. So, yeah, I, I plan on this summer, you know, the next few months, you know, trying to put together at least six to eight new song demos to give to my friends. Uh, and, and hopefully they can all, you know, uh, you know, ha have a new song for their audiences. Right. But uh, I'm even more excited uh, or I'm just as excited, I should say, to see if I can find somebody new uh, in terms of an artist who wants to you know, kind of bring this genre, uh, you know, into 2019 and create something really, you know, kind of create a new birth for freestyle. That That's really kind of something that, you know, um, I, I'd be interested in. But again, if, if all that comes of this is I get to work with, you know, seven or eight of my favorite artists and I give them all a song that they love and they have a new song to perform and most importantly, their fan bases love it then, you know, I'm good with that. That's fine with me. What are your um, top five uh, freestyle voices in the genre? That, that, also <sighs> comes, that also comes from KL himself. Uh, you know, I'm going to be partial, right? I guess. Like, look, I just shared that story with you, right? That working with KL on Tears May Fall, uh, you know, that was an exciting experience for me because he had a voice that lent itself to that song in ways that I could have never even imagined. So I'm always going to be partial to K, right? 
But George, I mean, what what could I say that hasn't already been said about George, right? Um, and then, of course, my boy, you know, Tony, you know, Tony put his heart and soul into every song he ever sang on, both in the studio and on the stage. So, so I guess as far as male vocals, um, Kay, George, and Tony, and I'm not saying that they're better than anybody. I'm not ranking anybody. Those are just guys that, for me, working with those guys, was that was life. That was like... That was, you know, they were family and it was just, you know, and then, and then just George's voice, man. You know, I still, as corny as this may sound, and now I'm really going to start to show you guys how corny I am, but I still, I still listen to the vocals on, on George's stuff and it still makes my hand, the hair on my neck stand up. You I know? can't, I can't have that guy sing, where does that leave love in front of me? Cause I start crying like a little girl with a skinny knee. I, I, it's, I don't go, I don't go that far. Uh, dude, hey, man, I, I, <laughs> I just play it. I just play it. <laughs> nah. And then as far as female vocalists, ah, oh, there's, you know, I mean, my girl Naomi, I mean, she was, she was my first, you know, the original. Um, so being in, I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned in terms of vocal talent, right. And when I say talent, I mean, just the power of her voice and her range. I don't know that there's ever been another freestyle artist that has her power and that has her range. As far as I'm concerned, she's the greatest freestyle vocal, female vocalist of all time. Now, having said that, Betty's voice to me was, is like velvet. She's like butterscotch velvet. Like, uh, that, that, and I, I wish I could have had an opportunity to work with her because I just love the texture of her voice. It's just sultry. It's like velvet. I love the way she sounds on records. And yeah, that's someone that I, I if, if you're listening, Betty, hit me up. But I would love to work with Betty. And then there's so many others like Brenda K. Starr. Love Brenda. Judy, of course. Cynthia, to me, has one of the sweetest sounding voices. Her, her voice is like honey on a track. I mean, I just love the sound of her voice. And, and uh, you know, Wilma, you know, uh, Sapphire, I'm sorry. Um <sighs> Like honestly, I, I I'd be hard pressed to name a freestyle vocalist that you know I can say yeah I've never been a fan. Lizette, I I think what Lizette does, and and I give credit to Lizette for this, but I also give credit to Carlos for this. Best freestyle harmonies, period. Now they may not be complex harmonies, but nobody does harmonies like Lizette. She has a unique sound. She put her stamp on it, and her harmonies give me chills. My favorite Lizette record of all time is one that I had nothing to do with, and that's um, Time Passes By. I love the harmonies on Time Passes By. I, you know, I, I honestly believe that if we would have had Time Passes By when we had Together Forever and A Day in My Life, that that would have been a platinum album. Because we could have marketed that in such a way that we would have had those three records back to back to back to back. She just put a, yeah, a, I, a nice background uh, vocals on her latest song, Rise. Uh, the yeah. remix where he where she featured Judy Torres, Lisa Lisa, yep. and um, a Sea Bank, and it was so simple, but it was so great that uh, I that's my favorite part of the whole entire record where Judy Torres does ad libs and so does Lisa Melendez at the end of the, of the song, and I I can play that over and over again. Look, Carlos Berrios is a world class producer, and he understands music, he understands technology. He understands arrangements. He has an ear. 
I mean, I just think the world of Carlos and and, and his work and, and you know, the, and, and to see how he's evolved, too, from the days of, you know, Make Noise, right? So all the way now, you know, Carlos Barrios is, is just a super talented individual. His latest but, record, his latest record was Zami Zone running Redux. It's a t- yeah, I heard that. I, yeah, I heard that. I really like that. And he and he I used really, the reel really to reels. Like he used reel to reels to edit on the reel to reels. That's dope, right? And he he recorded it and put it up for people to see. And it's like going to school, you know. Yeah. I remember going to, you know, editing school. You know, I had to edit a cart together. People don't know nothing about carts, you know, and. Yeah, and, and having my mentor Jesus Vasquez, the juice, show me how to splice and put things together, and things that you could do now in seconds, you needed to take twenty five to thirty minutes to, to right? do one slice. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, what if you had to pick your favorite record of all time, twelve inch record? Um, I, I could tell you mine is very easy. <laughs> And, you uh, want me to pick my favorite freestyle record of yeah, all time? Yeah, man. Like, no, for me, I can't do. Oh, and, and uh, by the way, th- there was one artist that she never she didn't get mentioned a lot, but she's someone that I feel is probably one of the more underrecognized um, freestyle vocalists, and it's probably because she really only had the one hit song. But Lydia Lee Love. Oh my she, god! Uh, yeah, she's another one. I, I love that record, and I and I love her vocals. You know, again, it's 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 not it's not fair, and and there's so many that have so many different sounds. Like Angel, you know, Angel from the look, the Cover Girls, and I was really blessed. I got to work in in my time producing, cover, writing, and producing the Cover Girl songs. You know, I got to work with three different lead vocalists. I got to work with Angel. I got to work with Evelyn, and I got to work with Michelle. And all three of them had a hit for the Cover Girls, at least one. Right, so. I don't have to name, you know, Angel, obviously, you know, because of you, show me, inside, outside. But, you know, Evelyn, that, that's Evelyn. That's, Eve, that's Evelyn on Funk Boutique. You know, don't take that away from her. And, you know, sorry, Latif, I know that you don't, I know you think that nobody cares about Funk Boutique, but a lot of people love that record. I love Funk um, Boutique. And then, and then, and then Michelle, you know, wishing on a star. She killed it. Michelle killed it. You know, and, and a couple of my favorites, you know, Thank You, which was, you know, a ballad that, you know, probably one of the favorite, one of my, one of my favorite songs that I wrote, you know. Um, and so, so having had three different lead vocalists on the cover girls that I had an opportunity to, to, to produce, work with in the studio, and they brought my songs to life. And I'm forever grateful to all three of those artists for taking my song and making it something special. Because Show Me wouldn't have been Show Me, you know, if it wasn't for Angel. And, you know, Tony and I, we talk about this all the time. To this day, you know, if you were to ask me, if I were to put the Cover Girls' first album on, which is my go-to song, which is the one that I probably want to hear every time I play that album, it ain't Show Me, it ain't Because of You, it ain't Inside Outside, and it's Spring Love, it's That Boy of Mine, which wasn't a hit, but that's, that's, that's my, like, personal listening favorite song uh on that album and and angel just killed it she just she just rocked it she sang that song exactly the way i wanted that song to be sung so um and and funk boutique you know funk boutique was just kind of like it was tony's idea to put something on the b-side to don't stop now oh what um, a great record yeah what a great again, record evelyn escalera singing lead you know 
So it was Tony's idea to do something on the B-side. Epic said, look, this Don't Stop Now song is a pop song. Let's put something on the B-side for the clubs. And, um, you know, Tony went into the studio and he had this idea to do kind of like this groove. And um, now I'm going to date myself here. There was this old school B-boy jam that had this hook. And I forget what the lyrics were, but you probably remember it went something like people dancing to the intervention. Everyone's trying to make a living. Remember that? I, I do yeah. remember it, but <laughs> it sounds about. it sounds so great when you do it. You should do it again. I sound wonderful. <laughs> and Tony, go, but but Tony said, that's the song that that we I want you to I want you to write something with that melody. And I was like, all right, let me mess with it a little. And it was it was like an old B-boy track. And that's when we I came up with the with the lyrics and the melody for "Come On Down to the Funk Boutique," try on a groove with a funky rhythm, and that was a hard thing to sing, especially over the type of track that it was, and that wasn't the type of track that Evelyn was accustomed to singing over. So we took we took Evelyn out of her element and kind of asked her to you know go with it, and she came through with flying colors, and she was reluctant. She was always kind of like a timid, shy very humble girl, very sweet girl, heart of gold. And here we were throwing her into the studio, asking her to sing something that was way out of her element. But I'm very grateful to her because she made that song come to life. Uh, and then, and then Michelle, you know, I can't say enough about Michelle. Uh, personally, I had a lot of reservation about covering wishing on a star. You know, um, I was like, damn, if we take this on, we have to really, really, I mean, we have to come with it because this is a classic. And, 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 you know, Tony and Andy Marvel were like, no, nah, no, nah, we got this. I'm like, all right, let's do it. And, you know, when I heard the track that Tony and Andy did, I was like, wow, you guys killed this. Now it's up to Michelle to deliver a vocal. And, and Michelle, Michelle was lying. This man, you know, we told Michelle, Michelle, you have to understand you're, you've got to come up with a vocal that's going to make people respect this because this is a classic. Rose Royce, this is a classic. You know, they'll laugh at you if you don't get this right. And, you know, same thing. I got this. And she did. And when she sang that song at the Apollo and brought that place down. So I look back at the cover girls and you know, I hear all of this, you know, all of these different beefs and all this. And my perspective on it is different. My perspective on it is unique. Yes, Angel sang the biggest cover girls hits. Everybody knows it. No one can take that away from her. But for me, for Andy Panda, as a songwriter and as a record producer and as the guy who formed the cover girls, I have a, a, a lot of gratitude. For, for Evelyn and for Michelle because to me they were just as just as an important part of that group this is the freestyle club let's talk freestyle now as far as the cover girls was your concept for them ever to be something uh, uh, similar to Menudo where you know somebody ages out and then we get a new no Cover girl in because no, that's what I thought when I was growing up. Like, no, oh, well, no, this one no, got a little older, no. you know, she lost her looks, 
So they're gonna replace it with no. another good-looking woman. Did you really think that? I really did. I really did. I thought that the concept was no, like no. a menudo type concept. Never. That's funny. No, never, never, never. That well. So you don't have you don't have your favorite record of all time, like freestyle. Freestyle favorite record of all time. You pick it out. You got to play it. Your favorite no. freestyle record. No, no, I don't. There's too many. There's there's too many for me to narrow it down to one. It depends on the mood I'm in. Like, so check it out, right? I um, I got a friend of mine. Him and his wife, they promote this uh this club in northern New Jersey. It's a place called Calandra's. And about a year ago, they started doing a throwback night on Saturday nights. So I'm watching the videos that my friend is posting of every Saturday night, and it's like an over forty crowd, you know. And they're mostly Italian, Italian and Spanish. And they're playing freestyle and they're playing classics. And, you know, so one day I hit him up on Facebook. I was like, yo, when are you going to invite me to come and DJ there? Because they were having guest DJs. And he like responds. He's like, for real? You would do it? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't even think I said it as a joke. Long story short, I went up there and I DJed for the first time in over 20 years and had the time of my life man i mean i i did a short set i only did like about a 90 minute set lizette performed live that night and and then sal came and hosted but the point that i'm making is when i was getting you know i had to decide what, what do i want to play right um because i'm only going to be playing for 90 minutes what songs are going to make the cut what songs aren't going to make the cut so i kind of stayed away from a lot of stuff that was like obvious because I said to him, look, what's been played to death? He goes, if I hear Maria one more time, I'm going to pull my hair out. I was like, all right. So I'll do, I'll do Tears May Fall. I won't play, I won't play Maria. But anyway, in, in digging through the crates, right, or through the files, as it were, um, I discovered, I, I rediscovered Never Let You Go by Sweet Sensation. And I swear, for like three weeks straight, I think, sweet, I think that I played that song like, you know, five times a day, every day. I just fell in love with that song again. And it wasn't necessarily that I had forgotten about it, but it just wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't on my radar. So for me, the reason why I can't pick one song to say that it's my favorite freestyle song, because there's so many amazing freestyle songs that, you know, you just pick one out and you play it and you savor it and you realize how delicious it is. Like another one of my all time favorites that, you know, and I, I could be here all night talking about this, but. The question, oh my you know, God. Noel and Tony Moran. The, oh my God! The B Are you side, me? the B side with the dubs. Yo, um, voice and fashion only in the night. The Devil's Nest mix. Oh my God! Are you kidding me? You know, and so Mandalay, uh, uh, right? Latin Rascals. Absolutely. Oh my God! You know, one of my own. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna give up, you know, big up one of my own records. January, February by by Tina B. You don't hear from that song a lot, partly because. Tina B wasn't really a freestyle artist per se. She, she, you know, we really, we wound up doing January, February for Tina B because she was Arthur Baker's wife and she had had that hit honey to a B, which, you know, wasn't a freestyle record. It was an electro record. Right. And Arthur was like, yo, can you do something for Tina? And then we did it. And then Tina, after, I mean, she had some success with it. And then after that, she kind of decided, oh, I'm not going to sing anymore. So you never really heard from her again, but January, February, as far as like, the stuff that me and Tony did, that that's that's one of my personal favorites. But but no, there there's not a single song. You know, there's so many 
that, you know, you could be sitting in a room and just play it and everybody just goes, oh, shit, remember this? So I, lo I love those moments. I love my favorite record. I can go to it, you know, 24-7, 365. Uh, it's a bootleg. It's Tony Moran featuring TKA is the love, the extended version. Like, I can, yeah. play, that, I can play that song over and over and over again. And a close, a close second is uh, a George Lamont's What Does That Leave Love? Uh, yeah. those, are, those are my 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 go-to records you know you talked about the the, the uh, one that's kind of like you know under the radar kind of songs right on the edge with um with tony moran and sapphire i oh, loved on the edge song oh my god and life right? life's too short life's too short by tony moran is an amazing I wrote song that. that yeah that i just reheard that for the first time um uh, it must be you yeah it's just oh my god and the beat to that yeah do you remember a song? Tony had a lot of songs. Yeah, he's that the man. Like low, he's low key. Yes. Low key. And, you know, and I wrote all of them. <laughs> um, it must be you. Life's too short. Lover. You remember Lover? Oh, my God. Lover is the dirtiest song I've ever heard in my life. I know. <laughs> I, we, we had a contest. We had a right, contest. So can I can I, I'm going I'm to share the story about, about why that song was so nasty. Please. So at the time. We were really trying to build Tony up as like a heartthrob, like a male heartthrob. And, you know, he didn't have a girlfriend. So I was like, Tony, you know, now it's no secret Tony's gay. Everybody knows that. He's one of the biggest gay DJs in the world right now. And, you know, um, but back then, he, you know, he wasn't out like that. So we were kind of billing him as this teenage heart. Thought, I was like, all right, we need to have you singing a song that's just straight up nasty. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the lyrics, the lyrics are pretty, you know, they're pretty risque, you know, pretty risque. Get it ready. Get it tight. Let's get it wet. I need a taste of your virgin love. No, it's just, and it starts off bad. It's, it's like a pedophile's dream. Hey, little, right. he's little like, girl. Hey, little girl, you look so fine. Um, it, it's funny because um, Stevie B has the counter to that and it's called young girl. And so I'm not sure if you heard it, but I just had the the creepy song battle. Um, and believe oh, it, or, believe it or not, Stevie B won because okay. this is a girl that was uh, like 17 and she wants to be with an older man. I, I don't know if you've heard it, but uh, it's no, it's no. the it's the Massachusetts national anthem here. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! But I mean, look. So back then. Like I was blushing writing that song, and then you hear the stuff that's out nowadays. I'm like, damn, this is G. My shit was G-rated compared to the stuff that's out now. That's very true. Yeah, tell me about it. There, I mean, you could be writing some dirty songs right now in freestyle. We can we can start a whole new generation of dirty freestyle songs. Oh my gosh! Being a songwriter myself, this is a question I'm dying to know. Okay, you have written some of freestyle's biggest hits. What is your approach to songwriting and what is your method? All right. That's a great question. Thank you. So, yeah, I don't think that there's a formula for writing a hit song. And again, this came up in my conversation with Stevie the other day. You got to remember, for every quote unquote hit that I had, there mm -hmm. was seven that weren't hits, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think for anybody that's writing songs, you need to not write with the idea of I'm writing a hit. You need to just write from your heart. You just need to create your art. And if it's a hit, it will be. And if it's not, you know, like I said, some of, some of my favorite songs that I've written were not hits. That Boy of Mine by the Cover Girls is still one of, my, one of the, my favorite songs that I've ever written. 
and it wasn't a hit. So I think the first thing you need to do is don't look to write a hit, you know, which is hard because, you know, part of what motivates people to do is, but, but, but maybe you approach it a different way. I want to write a song that everyone's going to love. That, that might be a different approach to take, right? Instead of thinking of, oh, I'm going to write a song that's going to be a commercial hit. No, I want to write a song that everyone's going to love. I want to write a song that people are still going to be singing 30 years from now. So that's number one. Number two, for me, because of my influences, for me, it was always about a hook. You know, I always felt, I've always had a very strong pop sensibility, and I've always felt that a, a, hit, a good song needed to have a catchy hook, something that people could sing along ability, all right? That's the key. I always, that was, for me, something that was the key. I want people to be able to keep that hook in their head and sing it all day long, right? Lyrical content matters, man. It's like, dude... You can write a song about love, but we don't have to make every single song using the same seven words. Try to expand your lyrical content, you know, get a dictionary, get a thesaurus. But and I'm not saying you got to use big words in your music, but, you know, can, can we can we try to be a little bit inventive in how we how we use our vocabulary? Also, phrasing, you know. Try different techniques when it comes to phrasing music. You know, don't be afraid to be too wordy. Don't be afraid to be really sparse. Just, just try it. Um, so experimentation, you know, don't get, don't get lazy. Don't get lazy just looking for the, the word that rhymes with the word that you used in the last verse. And that's another thing. Shit don't have to rhyme, right? Right. These aren't nursery rhymes. <laughs> if, if, if you got a powerful message, if there's emotion in the song and, and if, if the melodies that you're writing go with those lyrics are interesting and have passion, it doesn't matter, you know, if they rhyme or not. So that's another thing. You know, I like song structure. I don't like boring linear songs. I like a song that has a verse. I like a song that has a pre-chorus or a bridge. I like, you know, so I like some structure. I like the song to take you on a journey. I like to give the singer an opportunity to go different places with their vocals and not just stay in the same place. Tony used to call me a chord queen. He's like, you're the biggest chord queen. Everything with you is all about chords. And, and I'm like, yeah, man, I, mean, I love chords. Like, you know, so, so I, I like chord progressions. I like experimenting with chord progressions and I like experimenting with melodies, you know, and, and, and the song at the end of the day should, should be a journey. It should be something that you started at the beginning you know, like intros to me were always important, you know, because the intro was, you know, how you pull them in, you know, how you, how you, how you get them on board for this journey. So, you know, me and Tony used to get really excited about you know, different types of intros to get people captivated. And then once they're on board, once they're on your ship, let that song take them on a journey that, that they're not going to forget. So, you know, and then you got to feel it. You got to feel it. You know, if you can't, and that's why I think, you know, I don't think I've ever written a song that wasn't personal, you know, like literally, I don't think there's ever been a song that didn't incorporate some aspect of my own personal experience in, in life. And I can listen to any song that I've written and I know who I was thinking about or what situation influenced me writing that lyric and writing those melodies. Like oh, I want to test I, that. I, I absolutely remember because they're personal. So that's another thing. You know, you got to make it personal. I want to test that. What were you thinking of when you wrote 
uh, the part of uh, Life's Too Short when I said, go back to boys, you're not quite ready yet for me. Uh, I know who I was thinking <laughs> about, but I ain't telling you. <laughs> Let me just say, like, Tony Moran, for me, man, it's an icon. The fact that I get to relive some of the, the, the greatest written verses in freestyle history because you wrote them and you, you had him sing it. Uh, it's a great journey to listen to Tony Moran's greatest hits, iTunes, to download that whole entire catalog. I purchased it, you know, and and to even get it on CD, you know, because it was just pretty amazing, right? Amazing work. And like I said, I, I like, I love uh, Life's Too Short. I love uh, It Must Be You. That that beat just gets me excited when, when I listen from beginning to end. And then the words are just killer. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny that you bring up Tony Moran because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he's one of Freestyle's more underrated artists. Everyone says that. Everyone. I, when, I, when I started playing Life's Too Short again, after so many years of not playing it on the radio, uh, people on my Facebook live, he was like, oh my God, Tony Moran is so underrated. And then I just started playing some, uh, some Tony Moran stuff. Uh, Dance With Me is, is a great song. Oh my but, God. But, um, you know, it must be you, Lover. You know, we had that contest, you know, the, the duet with Sapphire. He, I mean, who's sorry now? Um, oh, I loved sorry now. Why? Why can't I hold you? I want to be more than friends. Just, it's just amazing. Uh, from from um, Same Sun, Same Sky, the, the album, underrated. Uh, I love that song, Why? I love that song, Who's Sorry Now? It, it, he's just my, I mean, I'm going to see if I can interview him next because, like, He's my ultimate get as well, you know, but I almost feel like Tony Moran is the freestyle artist for freestyle artists. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're a freestyle artist, you love Tony Moran's music, even though freestyle fans, he may not be on the same level of familiarity as a, you know, a Johnny O or George Zaman, a TKA, uh, a Noel. But if you were a freestyle artist, you know damn well who Tony is. And I don't know any freestyle artist who didn't love Tony's work, whether it was as a producer or as an artist. And if you saw Tony live back in the day, you never forgot him. You never forgot him because what he did on stage, that energy that he brought to the stage was, it's the same kind of energy you see from like a KL and TKA today. Sending on my um, love, uh, running by La Marez. I mean, I could, I could sit here all day talking about Tony Moran. <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> a big fan. I boy. do have to tell you though, I told a lie a second ago. And I just want to clarify it because we're talking about Tony. I told a lie and I said that every song that I wrote was personal. The only song that I didn't write that wasn't personal was Arabian Nights. And I'll tell you the story. So Tony Moran tells me, Hey, listen, man, Charles Stetler, who was the Latin Rascals manager at the time, he has us doing this concept album called Macho Mozart. And we're basically we take a bunch of classical songs. Yes, and then that, we make dance record. records out of them. I right. Have, I love that. So record. the whole album, the whole album was supposed to be classical songs made into dance records. You know, concept album. I'm like, all right. He goes, Well, there's this classical song called Arabian Nights, and um I, I need I need you to write something to it. He goes, So can you come to the studio on Monday? And I was like, Yeah, sure. So well, whatever day it was. So I go to the studio that morning and uh, I get there and he's like, Okay, do you have it? I was like, Do I have what? He's like, do you have the lyrics? No. He goes, we're recording vocals today. And I was like, I thought we were just listening to the song today. And you want, he goes, no. 
And I'm like, are you kidding me, Tony? And he's freaking out because, you know, he had just started and, you know, studio time was expensive. And Charles Stetler was like, you know, he was a, he was, he was the guy who cracked the whip. He didn't mess around with Charles. So I'm um, all right, play me the track. So he plays me the track and <laughs> this may be too much information, but I had just had my morning coffee and I had to go to the bathroom. So I was like, <laughs> all right, play me the track. I was like, all right, I got to go to the bathroom. Keep it playing. And while I was in the bathroom, I wrote the lyrics to Arabian Nights. And I came out of the bathroom. I was like, here, here you go. Wow. That's great. <laughs> I was like, but here's the funny part, right? I didn't know anything about the classical song Arabian Nights. So I thought it was Arabian Nights, N-I-G-H-T-S, right? So I wrote the song about, you know, these were the nights that we spent together, you know, whatever. <laughs> And it turns out that the name of the classical song was not Arabian Nights with an N. It was Arabian Nights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S. So that's why part of the lyric refers to Arabian Nights that we spent the night together. And then you hear in, in, the, in the chorus refrain, uh, Tony's going, we're just Arabian Nights. <laughs> so I was like, damn, Tony, you made me look like an idiot. The name of the song is called <laughs> Arabian Nights with a K. And I wrote this song about Arabian Nights, like, you know, being in Egypt at nighttime. <laughs> but nobody could paint pictures like you did. You know, Tim Buck, too. Who puts that in a song? Who? Exactly. Right. You know? Yes. But nothing can compare to that great night that I, that where I that met you. That strange land that is, where I met exactly, you. The desert what, sands of Baghdad. It was the place we fell in love. Crazy. How many remixes to that song have there been over the years? Oh, my gosh. Tons. Oh my gosh! So, and I'm hoping that you know you you start writing music for Kay and and for George and for Stevie and for you know all these artists that uh, need new music to be written by you because we miss those type of hits. Well, I have a prediction. I predict that this is going to be the summer of freestyle. This is the Freestyle Club pick hit of the week. Andy Panda, what is your pick hit of the week? All right, I'm going to tell everybody to go out and take a listen to an obscure CoverGirl record that maybe a lot of people overlook, but it's one of my all-time favorites. It's from the very first CoverGirl album, the Show Me album, and the name of the song is That Boy of Mine. Cologne, what is your pick hit of the week? So mine is going to be from my team, TST, featuring Sean Davis, a heartbeat away. Exclusive! Coming out. Yeah, coming out soon. Exclusive! Exclusive! (laughs) As I walk through the shadows of 
Well, my pick hit of the week for this week on the Freestyle Club belongs to Jenny Renee, and she has a song. It's called All Hooked Up, and it's going to be part of CPR's Clubhouse Freestyle Countdown Madness, also available on digital uh, distributions uh, via 418 Freestyle. So big shout-outs going out to Gino Caporelli, and that is my pick hit of the week, Jenny Renee and All Hooked Up. We need a catchphrase for you. What do you mean, like how Ralphie does? Yeah, well, I, he's loving freestyle. You got, you got to... <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, the CPR say goodbye, and you're going to be like, broken, broken, <laughs> broken. I'm not doing that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that about wraps it up for us this week on the Freestyle Club. While the unknown admin, Rafael Reyes, continues that assignment, and CPR say goodnight for Nick Cologne. Oh, good night, everybody. No cash face from him this week. He'll come, he'll come up with one. I know he will. <laughs> Talk to you soon. I love the way you touch my body. It's magic in the simplest way.